The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hello, wonderful giants. This is episode number 54. Our guest today is truly one of a kind. He's an 11-time world surfing champion, holds the record as the youngest at age 20 to win the title and the oldest at age 39 to win the title as well. A living legend, an inspiration to millions of people, by far the best known surfer on the planet and chatting with him really blew me away. Some of the topics we spoke about include his thoughts on longevity and making a career out of something you love, in his case, surfing in professional competitions for over 33 years, the importance of humility, respect, resilience, family, and personal relationships. We spoke about doubt and setbacks and building mental toughness, including his two to three year hiatus, which was part of the seven year gap between winning his sixth and seventh world titles. His 10-year journey in creating the perfect man-made wave pool, what once was a dream, is now a reality. I, of course, asked for his key tips for beginner-level surfers, for those that want to start, and there's just an avalanche of quality insights in this interview. The list really goes on. So if you're someone that's interested in hearing the ups, the downs, and everything in between from a world champion, then this episode is for you. Now, briefly, before we begin, as you know, we had on Jake Casson, the co-founder of Movement Watchers, last episode, and it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of Movement Watchers, so I wanted to make mention of his generous gift to all listeners, which is an exclusive 15% off all products with free shipping worldwide. Now, I'll give you that link in a sec as I've already taken advantage of this myself and got my third Movement Watch, this one on my wrist as we speak is called Denali. It's black with rose gold, hardened mineral crystal glass, and black stainless steel links. It sounds sexy. It is. You've got to check out their range. Sophisticated designs and quality constructions is what you'll see. And the most inspiring thing for me is that movement have really disrupted a multi-billion dollar industry because they saw a need to offer high quality minimalist watches that don't break the bank. Their watches start at just $95 at a department store. You're looking at around 400 to 500 bucks for this type of watch. So get your 15% off today with free shipping worldwide and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash giant thinkers. The blog post of this episode also has the link there if you prefer to click through. We're heading into the Christmas shopping period and if you're like me and hate the stress that comes with parking and dealing with retail crowds, you can skip all that and grab watches for all your loved ones. They make the perfect gift for men and women and as mentioned, start at just $95. The 15% off your entire order with free shipping is automatically activated when you visit mvmt.com slash giant thinkers. Alrighty, let's get stuck in. Buckle up. This is one action-packed episode. I present to you the hardworking, super humble, 11-time world champ, Kelly Slater. 
Kelly Slater, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. How are you doing today, mate? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Um, just uh, I, for people who don't know, I've been in recovery on a broken foot three months. Three months in, you and I have been trying to connect for a long time, and um, I had a little surf this morning. Then did some, uh, got massage, and then rehab on my foot, and a little uh, physical therapy, and here we are. Yes, I've been uh, following the journey as, lo- as as well as many others. Uh, it's been a dream bucket list of mine to have you on the show. Uh, so thank you for carving out some time. Uh, for the listeners, Kelly and I connected online and we've been attempting to tee this up for a little over a year now. But, uh, you know, the wait has been, uh, has been worth it um, finally connecting here. We'll see. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm here in California and so is Kelly. Uh, so it's uh, incredibly special for this to come to fruition. Uh, all right, let's dive in. First off, Kelly, I have an icebreaker question for you. What would be the wildest, most craziest thing you've ever done? When I ask you that question, what, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, back in what year was that? 94, 95, maybe me and, uh, three other friends. Went and did a one-day skydiving course so we could do solo skydives our first time we ever went. Right. That jumps out. Yeah. yeah it was in the hinterland, kind of uh, inland from Newcastle. Perfect. Uh, out in sort of wine country. But yeah, we wanted to do it. A friend of mine was doing a TV show, uh, a guy by the name of Martin Potter, who was 89 world champion. And Potts at the time had his own TV show. And he, he said, you know, I'm going to challenge you to this and you get to challenge me back to something you know for something on my show and i said all right let's go skydive and he was just like oh shit <laughs> uh-huh. and so I, I i grabbed uh ross williams and shane doran who two of my best buddies and the four of us went and did a course um for about a six or seven hour course the only problem was that the wind kicked up pretty strong in the afternoon and they were they were right on the verge of like whether they let us jump or not but we're like come on we spent like six seven hours in this class we got to jump now so. Wow! Wow! I've uh, I've only done hang gliding, so I've yet to experience the uh, the good old skydive. I'm I'm actually quite scared of heights. I don't know about you. <laughs> I kind of am, you know, in a way. I don't know. I, I yes, I sort of am. Like when I stand on something, and look down, it freaks me out. They say when you've jumped out, it's and you're there. It's kind of like it's cool. Yeah, I think I think I found um, I found it to be funny because you you know when you're in you you have a long time to think about it. I guess if something goes wrong at least you have some time. Like if you're bungee jumping and something goes wrong, it's, it's sort of over. So you don't have any kind of, you know, nothing. I don't know. It just seems like it, it just seems like it's, it's sort of over quickly. But if you're skydiving, maybe you could like go bear hug somebody else who's skydiving next to you and just go like, pull your shoot. Let's see what happens. That's right. Too, too fast to, uh, to feel anything. <laughs> You'd have to have two shoots go bad for that to happen. So. So Kelly, uh, this might be a silly question, but where would you say your expertise lies? expertise um i don't know maybe in problem solving right you know okay because uh, you know competitively a lot of what you're doing is is sort of problem solving you know you have this you have this uh there's no exact um map to to win you know so you have to go out and you have to figure out the conditions you have to estimate what the other guy's going to do if you find yourself in the lead you have to figure out how to hold on to that lead or expand it and then, uh, you know, if you're behind, you got to figure out how to catch up. So, you know, for me, it's always been sort of trying to solve that equation in different ways. Mm, it's a very good way of putting it. Uh, now, 
I know that uh, you, you've shared a couple of your um, your upbringing stories, but uh, for the listeners, can you tell us a little about your childhood and how you grew up? Um, well, I grew up in Cocoa Beach, Florida. In fact, I met somebody a couple of days ago that was born in the same uh, hospital as me, which was kind of funny. We were in Cal- uh, where was I? I was in Scotland, I think. Met a guy who was born in the same same hospital as me. Anyways, um, born and raised there. My parents moved there in the late '60s. My dad was born and raised in Florida, but in a different city, and moved from Daytona uh, to Cocoa Beach. And then my mom moved to Cocoa Beach from Maryland, and they met there and um, got married. Had my older brother, then had me. I have another uh, younger brother as well. And um, my dad owned a bait and tackle shop which was near the beach and he liked to surf and hang out at the beach. My mom liked to go sunbathe and that was kind of the end of the story for us. We were sort of destined to be surfers. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, what did your folks do by the way? Well, my dad owned that bait and tackle shop for a while, but then he, he did a number of different things. Uh, sort of my mom, um, my dad was a realtor. He was a builder. Um, he was a commercial fisherman at one point. Um, and uh, he he was I, I think he was a draftsman by trade in, from college. Uh, I think that's what he studied. But um, my mom also had a, a number of different uh, jobs she did. She worked at the at the local um, uh, restaurant at the beach where we grew up surfing. Uh, she worked there for a while. She was a bartender for a while. She um, she was a firefighter, the first female firefighter in our county. Um, she also worked at Sundeck as a, like a desk job. Sundeck was a, a clothing company that sponsored me for about six years when I was a kid. And, uh, so from the time I was about maybe 10 or 12 to like 16, she worked there. And, uh, yeah, so a bunch of different things. She worked at a restaurant for a friend of mine, uh, as a host, mm. hostess. And, um, She's currently working at uh, one of my best friend's restaurants and she slipped and broke her uh, humerus bone about two and a half months ago. So she just had two surgeries to fix her arm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you had the foot thing and she has that. Yeah. She broke her arm two weeks after I broke my foot oh my right, right around when I was going into surgery. So speaking of injuries, have you, have you had many, many injuries or? I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. yeah. I, I think throughout my, uh, you know, I had a, my back's been bugging me for a few years. Um, so I missed an event earlier this year. And then from this foot injury, I'm going to miss four, hopefully not five, but, uh, at least four events Wow. Uh, from this injury. And that's about as many events as I've ever missed in my whole career from injury. So I've been real lucky. All the other injuries I've had have only made me miss one event pretty much. So I, I've even surfed through, uh, injuries sometimes, uh, you know, through broken bones and, you know, this and that to to be able to keep competing through injury. So what do you think has been some key drivers to help you or to maintain a, I guess, a high performing engine in a way? What do you think has given you that longevity? Well, I think just, you know, passion for what I do. And um, I love to surf more than anything. So that's been my biggest passion desire in life really um you know the, to be able to make a career out of something you love they say you never work a day in your life so it's um i think the idea to keep pushing myself to keep kind of trying to reinvent and and push 
my own skills has been really fun. I, I think the better you are at something, the, the more fun it is. Yeah. So I keep, you know, I'd like to try to push myself. I'd like to, you know, be on the forefront of things, you know, to try and spend a couple few decades trying to be the best is a pretty fun thing. And, um, you know, quite rewarding in a lot of ways. So when you hear or read all your achievements played back to you, including being crowned World Surf League champion a record 11 times, what do you feel when you reflect on all of that? Um, I don't know. I, I feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> fair point, fair point. Yeah, it's it's just, it's been a long, long road, you know? I mean, I've, I, I feel like I've been surfing professional contests for... 33 years now. Wow. Uh, when I was 12, I surfed my first pro-am. And you were beating guys twice your age or something, weren't you? Uh, maybe three times. Oh my <laughs> goodness me. At the time. I mean, I, I, won a, I won a pro event when I was 13 and I won another one when I was 14. Um, so, I, I, you know, I sort of feel like I was pro before I was pro mm. because I was competing in a lot of pro-ams. But I didn't turn professional until I was 18 and um, I was in my my final year of high school. And did you kind of think at that time when you won your first going, wow, this is actually happening or you're just kind of so grounded and you're just going with it. You're not even thinking too much about the roll on effect of what could be. No, I was just kind of going with it. You know, I mean, I was, I was always a humble kid. I, I knew my skill, but I, um, you know, I was, I, I wasn't getting ahead of myself. There were other kids who, um, you know, there's a kid named David Eggers who was multiple time U S champion when I was a kid. And, and, um, he was really good, really talented, great competitive surfer. Um, but he was really cocky in my opinion. Uh, I felt like he was a really cocky guy and he had this whole entourage around him when he was a really, from the time he was about, you know, 12 or 14 years old, he had like his whole family and everything was sort of like built around what he was doing. And I found that to be really strange. I, I don't think that a kid that age should be the, uh, the sort of leader of the family, you know, they, should, they need to kind of stand in line a little bit. And so for me, I, I thought it was um, important to just be a kid and get better and better. And, you know, I felt, of course, when you're, when you're young and doing well, you want to like, you want to jump ahead, you know, you, you want to, maybe get ahead of yourself, but I knew my skill was never going to peak for at least a decade or more at that time. And, and, uh, I felt like it was really important to finish school. Um, uh, even though I didn't really think I was going to be using my education to get a job, I, I felt like it was important to finish school because I had from 18 for the, to the rest of my life to go surfing and, and worry about my career at that point. And I was able to fit both in you know, during school, I, I could still travel, but I also had a, um, you know, a solid thing with, with friends and relationships at home and stuff like that. So it suited me to kind of finish out school. And that mentality or approach to life at that age, do you think that was passed down from your parents, people around you? Um, I think it was probably from my mom, you know, she really hammered in like, you know, be humble and, and, uh, you know, if, if you're going to get out, out of line, I'll put you back in line. You know, she, she was, she was that way. She was very, uh, sort of liberal with giving me time and, 
and freedom to go do what I wanted to do. But she, you know, when it came to talking about drugs or alcohol or like the way I treated people, she was really sort of stern about those things and, and not, um, well, I, I think when it came to, you know, the way to talk to people and treat people, she was very, she, 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 she was always, you know, hammering at home to be respectful to people and thoughtful of other people. But, um, you know, when it came to, you know, as, as I was a teenager, my mom started talking about, you know, drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. She said, if you ever want to do that, she's like, I'll do it with you. She goes, I've never, I don't drink. I don't do any drugs, never have. But if you want to experiment, I'll do it with you. So you feel safe or, you know, so you don't have to lie to me about it, mm. that kind of thing. But I just never had the desire, you know, it's good. I didn't ever want to drink much as a teenager. Or I never really had any desire to, you know, even smoke pot or do any kind of experimenting with drugs in any way. And I, in fact, when my friends did, I was it really upset me. Um, when, you know, a few of my friends started doing drugs in high school a little bit and experimenting with acid and smoking weed and stuff, it, was, it really bothered me, you know. I took it really personal. Like, I, I really got angry about it. But, you know, that was just because I was so anti. Yeah. Shout out to all the mums out there. To be honest, uh, I have a <laughs> similar story, like, um, in, in terms of, uh, just being put in line by my, uh, by my mom in particular. I, uh, when I wrote my first book, went on a USA tour, did like 22 cities in three months, engaged with over 10,000 people. As soon as I get home, my mom says to me, uh, so how does it feel to climb up that mountain? And I said, that oh, feels pretty good. Feels pretty good, mom. And she said, well, make sure you come back down yeah. and uh, share to everyone what you found. <laughs> so, it was re- yeah, it really makes a difference. Um, so, Kelly, uh, what motivated you before winning your first title versus winning your 11th? Was it the same thing that motivated you throughout or would you say they're two different things? No, they're d- definitely different periods of my life and different reasons for them. Um, I think the first is just proving myself, you know, trying to prove to myself and to other people that I had that ability and, um, you know, then it graduates and, you know, it sort of evolves into like that you can maintain that and you can push yourself, push that level and get better. And then I took a little hiatus and it was seven years between my, uh, you know, I took two years off the tour and then it took me three years back on the tour to win or four years back on the tour to win a world title again. So, um, you know, I had like a seven year break between the sixth and my seventh one. And at that point, you know, I had a lot of doubt creep in because even the way things were written, it, it was basically like when you're 30 and surfing, you're ancient. And, it, you know, at that time, it, well, historically, it was, um, I'll just say when, when I got on tour, the oldest guy on tour was, I think, 28 or 29, and they were retiring. Wow. And there weren't many of those guys at that age. So it was really seen as a young man's sport. And, um, I won my seventh title, I think at 33 years old, maybe something like that. I think it was 33 that year. And then I won my uh, 11th when I was 39. And, um, after winning the seventh, I felt like I just sort of steamrolled into the other ones, you know, the momentum carried over. My confidence is really high. My mind didn't really get in the way, especially my, uh, uh, what year was that? 2000. 2008 or 2010. I don't know. There's one year there where I just like, I just won everything. And, and uh, I think I won six or seven events that year. And, um, it just seemed easy. You know, it felt really easy. I think it was 2008. It just felt like 
I didn't have to work hard, not, not didn't have to work hard. I was surfing lots and I was really in touch with my equipment and, and, uh, my surfing. So in that sense, I was working hard, but I didn't feel like when I was competing, I was working hard. It was just flowing and, um, kind of, uh, you know, I felt like I was, it, it felt more spiritual to me than like trying to get points and win money and those sort of things. Do you think that break that you had contributed to, I guess that, that kind of reframing and kind of blocking out the noise. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cause I, I had just, I had three years to kind of just do what I want. I still was considered a pro surfer. I was still getting paid the same and that sort of thing, but I was, I had a lot of freedom to travel and experiment with maneuvers and equipment and, and go places I hadn't been and kind of stay there when I got there instead of having to jump back on a plane and go to the next country for a competition. So I really enjoyed the time off and I think it, it allowed me a lot of sort of freedom and, and, um, you know, reevaluate my, what my goals were at that time. Nice. Uh, mate, what are some meaningful decisions you've made early on from high school life to your early sporting career that you feel really influenced the direction of your life? Was there maybe, you know, a certain thing or a resource or a person or a moment that comes to mind that kind of really pushed you early on into this direction of the life you live now? Mm. Um, yeah, when I look back on my life, there's a lot of, there are a lot of influences. Um, funny, I mean, you know, your primary influences obviously come from your family, your upbringing, your reaction to those things. Um, it's a funny thing because I learned a lot from my dad, but more from my mom's kind of take on things about my dad. Like she would say things to me like, you know, your dad never finishes things. So I, I it used to instill in me like, okay, I got to finish things. You know, when I start something, I got to finish it. And, um, but you know, everyone's got this story of their dad, like sitting him down and saying this thing to him. And it's like, it, it, it sort of like guided their life. And I never really felt I had that from my dad. Um, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad or negative way. It's just, I, there's not like one thing that he said to me that like really stands with me, but my dad was really nice to everybody and everyone liked my dad. Um, you know, he got along with everyone. He didn't sort of seek out, uh, he never had sort of, um, problems with people, you know, everyone did. He just sort of got along with everybody. But my mom, my mom was a lot more, uh, sort of opinionated about, um, about people that were around us or, you know, she was the one kind of like with the hammer and my dad was kind of had was the one with the beer, you know, and he's just kind of, he kind of accepted everybody, but you know, there's, you know, good and bad things in each of those. Makes sense. Uh, can you remember a time when you felt like you didn't have it all figured out? You know, perhaps you felt a little lost. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of times. Um, uh, and, and uh, probably when I, when I've, when I feel like I've known the most is, you know, there's that spiritual thing, like the more you learn, the less, you know, and I've, I've definitely felt that too. So I, I, I feel like you can really connect when you, when you feel like you don't know a lot of stuff, you're learning a lot. But, um, uh, I mean, I've, my, my life and my career and, and all that stuff hasn't been without challenges. You know, I've definitely had a lot of challenges around, um, family stuff and relationship stuff and, 
Um, you know, also plenty of losses, you know, you don't win 11 world titles without losing uh, a whole bunch also. Um, so, uh, I've had a lot of close calls there. I mean, I could look back at world titles that, that were just decided either for me or against me by one wave or two waves throughout a whole year. Um, and, uh, if I look back over the whole thing, I find that generally, uh, I would say, you know, the, the things just happen sometimes it, well, like, let's see if I were to compare one year, like, um, 1995 or 1998, both those world titles I won in the last contest, almost in the last, I think in the last heat I served. And not only that, but a whole sequence of events had to happen that I was totally out of control of They, you know, other people had to lose and I had to win. And looking back at those um, it's so unbelievable to me that those things all fell in line and happened. And at the same time, it feels like it couldn't have been any other way. Like they ha- those things had to happen. It, like I could almost feel it ahead of time. Like I could almost predict the future. And I don't know, sometimes when you're just tuned in, things just go your way, you know, because you just know how to dodge and weave and, and, and make the right choices. And, uh, you know, when you're making the right choices, maybe you do have a, uh, an effect on those other things, you know, other people see how confident you are or, you know, that you can't be shaken or whatever. Um, but I've, I've had a, a bunch of those go the opposite way too. You know, I've woken up on the last day, uh, when I could win a world title and knowing that it's not going to happen today because all the other sequences of events happening in my life just aren't helping and they're not going the right way. So, um, I, I've always kind of equated, uh, the competition because I've, because I've competed so much in my life since I was such a young kid, I've really equated the results and, and the happenings around that, um, the events around those things uh, as a sort of uh, spiritual guide, which is funny because you don't think of competition as a spiritual thing, but, um, it definitely is like, uh, everything in your life gives you messages. And that's the one thing I've been super into. Yeah. I love that. I think that, that really ties in a lot about what you said on uh, 2005, 2008, um, or was it 95 and 98? All four of those years, All yeah. four of those years. Um, around uh, the race was won um, or lost based on just, you know, the, the chance. Um, and I think, uh, and, and this question comes from a lot of the listeners um, who write to me all the time feeling that they don't have it all figured out and they are lost and they are almost seeking for an indefinite answer. And I have myself um, in many parts of my life where I kind of want that certainty. But then there's, as you said, there's there's the spiritual side of things. There's things you mm. can't control. There's chance. There's serendipity. There's the universe. There's things that are just not meant for you. Thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. I think um, you can wake up any day and have a great day or a bad day. And it's usually um, your perspective uh, on a lot of those things. There's bad things in life that you can't control. You know, people die and get sick and, you know, friendships or relationships and those sort of things. You know, you could lose a job. But, you know, what did you learn from those things or what opportunity comes from those? So it's important to know that there's things you can't escape in life. You know, there's things that are going to happen. And, uh, you know, be prepared to, to react in a positive way around this for yourself, you know? So is there any actionable 
advice that you would give to someone who's wanting to navigate their way to what fulfills them? Maybe they don't even know what they want to do, maybe let's say career-wise or passion project-wise. They kind of have, maybe they have many passions or on the other end spectrum, maybe they're established in their career, but they kind of are asking themselves what's next. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's always that follow your heart thing, you know, follow that gut instinct. What, and sometimes it doesn't make sense and you don't know what the roadmap is, you know, but you just kind of, I don't know, somebody quit their job and go play music, you know, but they've been in an accounting or desk job their whole life. And all of a sudden they're like, Hey, I want to go play music and write a great song. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, um, you know, the arts and physical things that kind of really get people passionate about their lives. And, um, I don't know. I, I've been blessed, you know, I, I was, I was good at something I was able to turn into a career. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's those people out there that would just say, you know, you're lucky that just fell in your lap or whatever. Um, you know, but did it, I, I worked hard at this, you know, I worked really hard at this for, I've worked hard at this for four decades now. So I don't think you get lucky for four decades. Um, and I don't think that, uh, I, I don't think that luck really necessarily, um, is just an explanation. You know, you have to have a desire and a passion for something. It's pretty much that simple. But if you've got a whole lot of stuff clouding your vision, if you've got a whole lot of problems in your life that are, that are blocking that, then you need to go figure that out first. Yeah. It reminds me of a, a, a video, a commencement speech that Jim Carrey gave uh, a couple of years back. And he said, you can fail at doing what you hate. So you might as well go for what you love. Yeah. He actually, you know, people think he's crazy. Right. I've been hearing more and more the last couple of years, John, Jim Carrey's crazy. And, um, he's like, he kind of is, but like, if you're, if you're not a little crazy, you don't ever break out of who you are. And, uh, Agreed. I saw this thing on him the other day where he's doing the red carpet and I don't remember what movie it was, but he goes, a guy comes up and starts to interview him and he's, and the guy says, Hey, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. And he goes, how are you? And the guy goes, yeah, good. He goes, no, how are you? How are you really? And the guy goes, man, I'm tired. And he just like, he allowed him to have that space to actually be real and be on it. Like he forced him. He just said, no, like, I'm not going to move past this question until you tell me how you actually are. <laughs> and the guy's like, man, I'm so tired. I'm just, and he goes, all right, now I feel you, you know? And it was cool because most people that are in that situation where they get paid $20 million of film and, you know, they're getting just harassed for interviews and stuff. They, they don't take that time to kind of be that calm, that quiet and, and ask a question that simple and, and actually care about the answer. And be present by the sounds of it. Yeah. So uh, we spoke a bit about this topic, but in terms of mindset uh, and self-talk, what was yours like during challenging times and how did you build mental toughness over time? Um, gosh, I don't know. And there's, I mean, everyone needs friends, you know, you need friends and people that believe in you to help you out. And, um, I, I think I was lucky to be able to probably rely on my skills a lot of times when I was probably challenged with a lot of my own personal problems. Um, you know, definitely, lives a life where I've, you know, a certain negative mindset has gotten me into, into predicaments in my life that have been challenging. And I was able to probably rely on my 
surfing and the fun that brings me and the results I've had from that success I've had career wise to kind of, you know, sort of at least temporarily pull me out of that or distract me from, from those things. But, you know, you know, you, you inevitably need to come back around and, and, and deal with those things. So, um, yeah, it reminds me of something. Um, you said something, uh, at another interview that, that I really loved and you just said, you said it in one word and you said excitement. If you're no longer excited, that just one word excitement, if you're no longer excited, then you're not moving forward. Mm. And it's, and, and for me, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of you and just in so, so inspired by your life as well as many others. And I think you really embody that you've just kept for decades, man, like four decades of excitement. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is, how do you stay excited? How do you remain and, and keep excited about stuff or what you do? Um, well, I don't know. I think right now is I, I could look at it two ways, you know, I've been injured for three months so I could get really down or I could get excited about the fact that I can surf again soon. I'm just starting to surf again. So mm-hmm. that's pretty fun and exciting, but I was in the water today and, um, you know, I just wanted to catch a couple waves and I don't care about catching the best wave or doing a big maneuver. I'm just kind of, I'm in this like complete rebuilding phase for riding a wave and getting excited again, you know? So I was, I was telling a friend of mine, Griffin, who was surfing, he's a really great young surfer on the qualifying series. He was out today and, and, um, I told him, I said, it's so strange to be on a wave and be forced to look at it different. Cause I can't ride the way my mind is wanting to ride right now, you know? So I see a section and I can't do the turn I want to. I can't hit it the way I want because I'm worried about injuring my foot again or tearing something or not working or, you know, I don't want to put myself out for an extra month or two months. Um, so, I mean, I could easily be down or I could be excited about the process, which I, you know, in my, in my eyes, I don't have a choice. I have to be excited about the process right now. Right. I felt like my foot was never going to work again at one point. And I still feel like, I have my doubts as to whether it'll ever, ever get back to where it was, to be honest with you. But, um, but it probably, I'm sure it will. I just, it's just going to take time. It's, it's almost empowering that with what you said around the looking at the waves differently because your mind can register the fact that you have to limit your body yeah. to n- not performing how, how it usually would more fluidly perhaps. Um, but I guess in that and without that sort of breaking of pattern, you wouldn't have gotten this ap- appreciation. You almost, you almost have, have to reset in order to kind of take it even to another level, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I have a, I have an assumption about why I was injured. You know, I, you can just think oh, if something physical happened, you know, but there's, I truly, I, I don't believe, I don't just believe, I know there's just deeper reasons to why you get injured, you know? Mm. And, uh, so it's going to take me a little while to sort through all that, but I think it's been a long time coming with a lot of things in my life. So it's forcing me to slow down, give me an opportunity to, to maybe, um, you know, maybe sort myself out in a way that is much greater than any feeling I've had from surfing, um, you know, personally. So, yeah. Yeah. But you don't know that until it's done, you know? You don't know that until you look back and you see what happened. So, yeah, I feel you on that. Um, 
the injury itself, was it through surfing? Yeah. Yeah. I was surfing and my board just, uh, just flipped back into my foot and basically broke the top of my foot backwards. Yeah. Cause, uh, I saw it on the news in, on, on telly on, on, in Australia mm. and you were being like lifted and you were hopping. It's like, it just happened. And it was just yeah. being televised in Australia. And I was like, no way. And then saw on your Instagram, it, it, you, you'd taken a photo and your foot had swollen up like a balloon. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was pretty bad. Wow. <laughs> but you were still smiling through it. You were... <laughs> I've been philosophical about it. You know, look, I mean, I've had a bunch of, I, I know a lot of people around the world, you know, which is, is a great thing. But, you know, the more people you know, the better chances there are that somebody's going to be sick or die or, you know, have big problems in their life. So I look at a broken foot and I think, you know, my, my friend's dad just had, you know, brain surgery for cancer. Um, you know, I've had two friends of mine last year commit suicide. Um, you know, as you get older, people pass away that were, you know, a big part of your life. And so I, I look at a broken foot and go, I have no room to, to, uh, whine about a few broken bones, you know? I mean, it's months out of the water, but as you said earlier, I've been lucky in my career. I, I've only had a, if I told it all up, only a few months, even less than a year out of the water in, in the last, you know, 40 years. So I've been real lucky with injury and maybe it's just a, a good time to calm down and, and take a little breather and, and uh, you know, just think about how many other people around the world have, you know, I mean, there was just 3,000 buildings uh, lost last week in fires in California you know, untold numbers of homes disappeared in, uh, in throughout the Caribbean and Florida and Texas from all the hurricanes. Um, you know, most problems are pretty small hmm. for day to day for people. Those are, those are big issues. You know, and when you lose everything you've built up in a whole lifetime, when your house blows away, uh, you know, or you lose someone you love, or I don't know, it, it I, I just try to be philosophical that, uh, things can always be a lot worse than they are. Yeah. Perspective for sure. Uh, so you're actually a fundraiser and spokesperson for suicide prevention awareness. Uh, what are some helpful messages of advice you're advocating? Um, yeah, I, well, I think everyone should be an advocate for those things. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just to reach out to someone, you know, we build things up so big in our heads that are maybe worse than we, we might build it up bigger in our head most of the time, worse than it actually is in reality. You don't, you know, and is your life going to be gauged on the reaction of other people? I don't know. I mean, there's no telling what, uh, what, what puts someone over the edge, um, to commit suicide. It's different for each person. Um, but I think there's some similarities in most everyone. And, um, I don't know. I, the, the biggest thing is just to reach out to people and try to get somebody who can help you out. You know, just voice your problems, you know. Yeah, having a circle of of, of family, friends, a network, um, rather than uh, kind of feeling alone and keeping it in your head, I guess. Yeah, I actually had this, this strange story just popped in my head, actually. A friend of mine was surfing in Australia couple decades ago and he was at this he was in this car park and and this guy walked by and he looked a little disheveled and kind of upset and angry and my friend said said to him he said uh 
hey man, you, you okay? Like, what's going on? You all right? The guy kind of, kind of grumbled and was walking by. He's like, no, you, how you doing? Are you okay? And the guy came back and just like started like spilling all these things. He was like super angry about and talked to him for a little while. And then, um, then he left and he came back a little while later and he goes, Hey man, thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me how I was doing. Cause I wasn't doing good. He goes, you know, in fact, I was going to go home and kill my wife. It's a crazy story. Oh my goodness. And he said, I was going to go home. He goes, I was so angry. I didn't know what to do. I was thinking about suicide and I wanted to kill my wife. And like, he started telling all my friends kind of like, just back like, Whoa, what just happened? He goes, he basically just said, you know, you just saved, you just saved my life just by asking me how I was, you know, cause I had no one to talk to and all this stuff. And then, um, and then he, uh, kind of a strange, funny ending to it because he recognized my friend. My friend was a filmmaker. Um, and this guy felt like he had exposed some surf spots. And so he goes, are you so-and-so? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, man, I hate you. And he walked off. And it was really strange, but he said he felt like the guy had come down off of his manic state. But, you know, just so there's a weird twist at the end there. But he he, he literally told me that that's what the guy had said to him. And um, what a crazy story. You you might have heard Are You OK Day. Have you heard about Are You OK Day, Kelly? Yeah. It's the same principle. You ask yeah, someone yeah. how they're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. The second Thursday um, uh, of September is dedicated to really in Australia anyway it's a it's a big initiative and uh yeah it's a, it's a very beautiful one and and the the whole thing is about a, a question can save a life yeah it seems like there's a lot more um advocacy in Australia for suicide awareness and prevention than there is in America to me mm. um i just see it more often on tv or you know public sort of notif- notifications in some way um but another strange um, phenomenon, I don't know if we call it that in Australia, it seems like the sucker punch, you know, the king hit. Oh, dude. What is, yeah. It's crazy because I see it like almost every single night on the news and I don't really understand why people feel the need to do that to people. I had a friend nearly die from it and he lost his hearing. Right, right. So yeah. um, I guess there's been, whether it's whether or not it's just been uh publicized more or, or highlighted by the media more, but it is a problem and it's uh, referred to as the coward punch. Yeah. Uh, the king hit, the king hit has, has been, uh, was the kind of the, the term that was used and it's basically a, a one punch and that kills someone. And yeah. it King's a misnomer. Right. Right. So then they change it to, to, it's actually quite cowardly. So numerous things, whether it's, um, alcohol fueled or, you know, um, drugs fueled, um, violence, um, usually what's been televised is just random attacks, um, whether it's in a night out, um, in the city or whatever, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Like not pretty bad. It's, in, it's insanely, it's insanely, uh, you know, heartbreaking. Uh, a lot of people have died. Uh, I'm sure this has, it's not just Australia that, that this happens in, but uh, in Australia, it seems that I just I hear about Australia all the time. Yes, yeah, I'm not too sure why. To be honest, I kind of try to avoid a lot of the places that <laughs> and environments myself. But um, mm. it, it it has now been taken more seriously, and uh, there there are people that um, are now you know going to jail for seven, eight, nine years minimum for or more for this type of behaviour. Um, 
So yeah, they're really trying to put a, put a lockdown on it. So Kelly, on another note, something else you're passionate about uh, that, come, that has come to fruition is the unveiling of your wave pool. Yeah. A 10-year experiment to create the perfect inland wave. Amazing. Um, a successful project that the surfing world has been buzzing about, uh, mostly due to the wave's perfect shape and speed. So how did this all come about? Well, I started working on this in about 2005 on the idea. I, when I was a kid, I had a, a, a coach and board shaper. It's kind of my, kind of my sort of uh, guru. Uh, as a kid, his name was Matt Keckley. He was a world tour surfer, and um, yeah, he shaped my boards. Took me all around the uh, the country and the and the world surfing and stuff, and. Anyways, he called me up one day and he said, you got to see this wave technology. He's like, I, he goes, I just think you, you know enough of the right people to kind of connect the dots and make this thing happen. He's like, if this has ever been a passion of yours, you should get involved. And so I looked at the thing he was talking about and um, it looked pretty cool. We studied it for a little while and it was um, apparent that it wasn't necessarily uh, exactly what we wanted in terms of technology, but it, it really planted a lot of seeds for me. So I went out and kind of with my manager, uh, Terry, we, we formulated a team of people that could help get it done. And, um, uh, so all these different sort of, uh, gaps started getting filled. Um, uh, you know, my, my old boss puts over, helped fund a little bit of stuff. His name is Bob McKnight. Bob was a USC alumni. So we were able to go to USC and, um, speak to some of the, uh, professors there about how to, you know, transfer energy from a, a mechanism to a wave, um, which eventually led to us hiring a scientist full time. And then just bit by bit, we started, you know, kind of networking the right people together that could make this thing happen. And it ended up being about a 10 to 12 year project before we had a wave. And wow. uh, we had a lot of stuff proven in the lab, but we were, you know, it's, it's not a cheap no. thing and it takes a lot of land and blah, blah. So and there's a lot of things that go into it. You need, you know, you need the right, like, you need the right technology. Then you need the right property that has enough size and enough water, and you got enough electricity and the right permits and all these things. So, you know, all this stuff kind of has to come together. And somehow we struck gold. You know, we we um, we were able to to get the right group of people together that understood it and didn't pressure it in the wrong way. Um, you know, when you put your dollars into something, it can easily be something you want to micromanage and have control over. And, uh, we luckily found, uh, you know, some partners that were good enough to, to trust what we're doing and see the bigger picture of it. And here we are today. So now we've got this, this wave. that's just a, it's been a phenomenon in surfing. Um, I, I think at this point it's probably the most desired surf spot on earth as far as like, uh, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a novelty or, the excitement of it, or uh, it's just been like nothing I've ever experienced, to be honest with you. Uh, I was in Scotland last week playing golf, and I had dozens of people come up to me and talk to me about it that didn't even surf. And so it's been it's been pretty pretty startling, really, to to see the um, effects out in the larger community uh, from this. But hey, it's super fun. It's a really good wave. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go up there tomorrow and surf. Throughout the next five days, I'm going to be up there. Uh, with some friends and and doing some press with it, so you know, some sort of future for it. Um, 
we're trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it, it's not, it's not open to the general public right now? This one's not, no, it's not yeah. right now. Although we, we, we did do a, um, a fundraiser last year to raise the money for the local community and that sort of thing. We gave away a couple of days there to people and those people recently came, but then we've, you know, just recently had this whole run of, uh, disasters happen throughout America and the Caribbean. So we, um, gave out some more days, uh, one or two more days. I'm not sure which so far. Um, and you know, I, I think that's one real great outlet for it is, um, you know, as a fundraising tool, um, it's been, it's been just such a phenomenal outpouring of interest in it that, you know, the opportunity for someone to surf it. One guy, I think the guy from Brisbane spent 25 bucks buying a ticket and the guy from Encinitas who won the other golden ticket spent 50 or a hundred dollars. So, um, and, and you know, we were able to raise a lot of money that's going to a bunch of good causes and, um, uh, we'll see now we, we just started another fundraising campaign last week and, uh, I haven't heard the numbers on it, but hopefully it's going to be really good and I can't wait to see someone win it and get there and surf. So cool. So cool. It's almost like you're bringing all these different verticals together, you know, from, from the dreamers to the surfers, to the, um, to the scientists, to the yeah. entrepreneurs, business people, brands, you know, so many cool things happening. Technological brains and, uh, yeah. Artists and, and surfers. And yeah, I mean, there's all, it, it, it kind of runs the gamut really so many different, uh, people interested in it. I think there's a lot of creativity in that idea. Um, and, and speaking of creativity, what role has that played in the water during your competitions? Is there a particular competition that comes to mind where you really had to exercise creativity? Well, I think, yeah, yeah, there, there would be. Um, you have to, any competition that's won by anybody, they got to be creative with something. I mean, some people are offended by the thinking that surfing is a sport, you know, it's more of an art or something like that. So, you know, in that term, in, in terms of it being an art, you're, you're a painter or whatever, and you're creating something that is, um, you know, interesting to people watching. And the more creative you are with that, in theory, the, the better your uh, results would be. Um, it's not always true because there's been some really great surfers throughout the years that haven't been world champions that were seen as the best guys on the world tour um, at different times or the best guy at that competition or on that day. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to win, but I think you, you always have to have some kind of creative thinking outside the box in order to um, stand out for sure. I mean, there's, there's, there are a lot of people who've won competitions or done well in whatever different sports that that were good at what they did, but they weren't great because they weren't creative. And mm. I, I think you have to have that sort of X factor, something a little different than the next guy in order to be seen as being very creative. Do you have any basic tips for those listening who perhaps want to start surfing? Uh, what type of board do you recommend? Uh, any techniques, even paddling or, or what they should practice first before being able to surf a f- few small ones? Um, it's tough. You want to be, you know, in order to be the best at surfing, you're going to end up, end up having to probably be, well, if you want to be a, a, a short boarder, um, you know, you're going to end up on a small, tiny little board that sort of barely floats you and it just has enough planing surface to get moving. Um, you'd want to start on basically the opposite of that, you know, 
you want to start on something big and wide that builds your confidence and you can quickly, um, you know, once you get the hang of just the timing of turning around and catching a wave, judging a wave, understanding how the ocean moves, then you can start to work on the skill side of it. Um, you know, but the first, the first part is just learning some pretty basic stuff and just paddling, how to get up, you know, how to read a wave, where to put yourself, looking out for other people, all those kind of things. So, I mean, start somewhere where there's not many people and the waves are easy and slow and ride a big board. Awesome. And then move from there. Don't go too fast. I often uh, see your Instagram stories of the amazing array of food and ingredients that you kind of use, a lot of natural products, of course. Uh, Is there one breakfast food or ingredient that you can't go a day without? Um, My girlfriend and I usually wake up and have hot water and lemon. I mean, if you're going to start off the most basic way, just have hot water and lemon. Nice. Pretty much a good way to flush out your system, get some get some good things going, get your system moving and, and, you know, cleansing and then, um, go from there. But I mean, almost every single morning I'll have a smoothie with, um, flax seeds, chia seeds, um, greens, and then, um, you know, whole, whole array of other sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, I'll I'll put in, I'm looking at my fridge right now thinking what's in there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there's a, some stuff we put in called shilaji. There's, um, ashwagandha. Um, there's, uh, hemp seeds, um, usually used in almond milk or, you know, something like hemp milk, something like that. Um, and a smoothie, a true smoothie is not a smoothie without a banana. Technically, I think it has to have a banana to be a smoothie. That's what I've read. I agree. But, I agree. So I make a smoothie most, most every day. That's usually my breakfast. Love it. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't say I'm there yet, but I'm trying to be vegan. I'm trying to figure out how to. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I've I've seen too many. It, you know, it's for both for health and ethical reasons. But um, I've seen too many um, videos of uh, the way animals are treated in slaughterhouses. You know, wild animals hunting is a, a little different um, story because it's, um, you know, they lived a good life and it's also uh, better quality uh, food for you if, you, if you're going to do that. But um, yeah, I just, it's just so hard for me to now know what happens to animals, even just dairy cows. You know, I haven't drank dairy for a couple decades probably, but, you know, butter and milk and all that kind of stuff. It's just, once you see it, it's, it's really hard to turn your back and, and, uh, unsee that. Um, and, uh, you know, to know the implications on the, uh, you know, chicken industry with uh, the egg industry, uh, veal, you know, where your veal comes from, all this kind of thing. So I'm sort of smiling saying this, but it's just, I, I look at the, uh, you know, how that's such a norm for us. Uh, in society. And, um, you know, most people love cats and dogs, but we don't think of other animals in the same way. So it's, you know, it's finally been brought to my attention enough to be a a big factor in um, what I order when I go to dinner, um, what I buy when I go to the store. And, uh, you know, to really take the time to look into the health benefits of, um, you know, what I'm eating, you know, what would you eat if you could eat strictly for health and not for pleasure? You know, if you're strictly eating for nutrients, 
um, your diet would look a lot different than it does. And, um, it's, you know, it's a big, it's a big issue in America too, with obesity and, um, you know, heart disease and cardiovascular disease, cancer, all those sort of things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of issues with sugar and diabetes and the plethora of, uh, of things that happen from that, that you're not even connecting the dots on. So, you know, health's a big thing for me. It's a big uh, topic in, in my life. And I've been exposed to a lot of people. My father died of cancer. Um, there were a number of people on his side of the family that died from cancer and they were farmers, uh, going back generations, they were farmers and, you know, the, the implications of maybe pesticides and that sort of thing on, on food. Um, the quality and our food and water going forward, you know, is a, is a big issue with, we're going to be nearing 8 billion people on this earth soon. And, um, you know, to figure out what's causing all the problems, you know, whether you believe in climate change or not, isn't necessarily the issue, but we're polluting this world really horribly. And, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the problems that we're seeing is from, uh, animals grazing. There's so many of the forests cut down. I think it's something like a football field every minute or something from the Amazon being cut down. It's just sad. You know, we're, we're losing this natural world and we're living an unnatural life. And, um, you know, I'm not abdicating get, getting rid of technology ever because I think that's amazing. And I, I love that I was born at this time when technology is really taking off. But, um, you know, I think we're, we are losing our connection to the natural world in, in a lot of ways in life. Mm, yeah. I, uh, I was just thinking about all the the Netflix documentaries that I've been uh, watching and have been educating me on a lot of that stuff. And uh, I think yeah. a, a lot of this has to do with uh, knowledge, um, yeah. educating yourself about what happens to animals, climate, the world, yeah. um, you know, um, obesity, diabetes, all these epidemics. Um, so I, I think that's certainly one thing that I would, uh, I would, I would, do more um to to share around me um so so thanks for sharing that point of view um mm. a few more questions for you kelly uh a question i ask all my guests if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior kelly slater perhaps the kelly finishing high school what would you tell him oh hmm Probably, you know, maybe the same thing my dad told me before he died, actually. It was just don't take life so seriously. Love that, man. It's a good one. You know, but but with that, there'd be a lot of messaging. There'd be a lot of messaging around uh, a lot of different things. Uh, so I don't know if 30 seconds would do it, but hopefully I could fit it in in those 30 seconds. Perfect. Uh, mate, uh, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Maybe that person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? Um, you might have a few people. Yeah, I have a lot of people, to be honest. The person that pops out in my head is uh, Trevor Hendy, Australian, uh, former Ironman. Um, Trevor's been a good friend of mine and, and uh, helped me with a lot of personal problems in my life um, and, and led me to, to some other people that have helped me a lot, a guy named Justin Kosis, um, who no one would know pretty much, but, uh, you know, who became a good personal friend over the last, uh, decade or more, 15 years, helped me through a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, difficult questions in my own life. Um, but Trev has been a godsend to me. He's been a really good friend just through thick and thin. Um, 
I said he and I haven't really been through thick and thin. We've just been friends the whole time, but through my own thick and thin, he's really helped me. Um, but you know, I, I, I've been, I've been blessed. I, I have quite a few people I could think of offhand that have, have, uh, been there in a big way in my life. Perfect. Uh, mate, so what's next for you and everything you're involved in for the rest of the year and beyond? I would say just trying to heal up still quite a bit. Um, I got a little bit of travel on. I'm doing some stuff with our wave technology here over the next week or two. I'm, I'm involved in a, a number of different things we're doing, um, potential other projects and, and just brainstorming on how to utilize the one we have. Um, I, um, I'm getting ready on November 1st. I'm going to start doing a, some sort of a fast or detox for an extended period of time. So I've set that as my date. I haven't done a, a true fast or, um, cleanse in, uh, many years. So I'm going to, I'm going to set my sights on that and maybe do at least 10 days, maybe two weeks of some sort of master cleanse or detox juice cleanse, something, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm going to stop eating food for a while. <laughs> Maybe it'll just be water. I did that once. It was terrible. It was really, really hard, but I did five days on just water and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I just feel like it's time to just clean out, you know, as I'm, as I'm, uh, rehabbing the foot, I think I need to rehab the mind and, uh, the rest of my body too. So, um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm actually looking forward to kind of tuning out from, uh, my normal society for a, a little bit here and, and kind of reset the, uh, reset the, uh, destinations in my mind a little bit. Perfect. Mate, something that, uh, I think we, we should all do from time to time. Um, should, and not, we not wait, <laughs> not wait <laughs> till shit hits the fan or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> not wait till November 1st, you know, do it today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so mate, um, last question, how can listeners get in touch with you online? Pretty much the only social media I do is, uh, Instagram. Um, the rest is kind of linked to that. You know, I don't really tweet. I used to be into Twitter, which I, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, the one thing about, having a personal conversation with somebody and, and having a, a, a social media conversation with somebody is you don't really know what their personality is, what their context is, those sort of things. So, um, you know, it's easy to either misunderstand someone or, um, or, you know, to get trolled by someone, uh, quite frankly, um, without knowing who they are, what kind of personality they are. Um, and for someone like myself who, you know, I have quite a big, uh, following on social media. Um, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily play favorites. I'll talk to anybody, but, um, at the same time, I, I, you know, if it, if it doesn't feel like a fair conversation or, um, you know, if someone's overstepping their boundaries, I think, you know, it's time to shut that person out. Um, and, uh, you know, also if you have uh, a big following and you're talking to someone who's private and has no following, there's a weird imbalance because they can throw things at you that are just not, not, uh, not level, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I won't dive too far into that, but yeah. I, I find it happening a lot, you know? Yeah. I'm actually quite surprised that. So for the listeners straight up, we connected on Instagram Yeah, and, uh, just sent Kelly, a, a greeting and, um, very generous uh, of Kelly to just respond back. Um, and then sort so of dialogue in the online, uh, sort of relationship was built over that. 
um, and and something that I, I find is incredibly rare. Uh, you've got over two million plus followers, and uh, certainly you've got um, you know a lot that you can fill your day with. And the fact that you took the time to write back and to sort of engage on that level is, um, yeah, it's it's teaching me a lot of lessons as well as I navigate my own journey, um, as well as I think some other people have probably written back and said, holy shit, you replied. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, for instance, I, the other day, I, I put some stuff out about my clothing company and we, we t- we've taken a lot of heat because we, when we launched, we were very expensive. And um, that was by design. Um, it wasn't to exclude people, but it was just that we have very low volumes. You know, there's actually there's a bigger conversation. Maybe I'll, I'll be brief about it. When you do such low volumes and you're making really nice products and, um, you know, you're handpicking your supply chain, meaning that you got people who have a living wage, um, they have good working conditions, so you have social compliance. You're also using recycled or organic uh, materials. Everything just adds up. So you have a much nicer uh, piece, but you have a much more expensive piece also. Um, you know, the raw materials might be three, four, five times as much as just buying the cheap stuff that you can make a $5 shirt out of. Um, so we got we took a lot of heat for that. I took a lot of heat for that personally. Fair, fair call. You know, I, I didn't grow up in the fashion market um, buying and selling uh, super expensive clothes. But, um, you know, we've now really taken that on board and brought our prices down. And so we, we launched a, uh, an endemic brand, um, you know, into surf shops, uh, product. And we started talking about it online the other day and I'm still getting heat from people. And, you know, I got some guy who just wouldn't stop with me the other day. And he's just like, you know, why is it this much? Why is that that much? And he's, and, um, you know, he just kept harping on about the same thing over and over and over again. And I gave him a straight answer and he didn't change his tune. So, you know, at some point I just can't listen to you anymore and I'm going to block you. Mm. And, um, uh, maybe it's personal. Maybe it's not personal. I don't know. I don't know these people, so it's not really personal, but, uh, you know, if you can't have a, uh, a reasonable debate with somebody online and come to some sort of even agree to disagree, mm. um, and have respect for each other, I think it, you know, that's where you got to cut it off. And, you know, my girlfriend had said to me years ago, um, she goes, you know, when you, when you're tweeting or whatever, you're talking to these people, you're opening yourself up to like the whole world. She goes, you know, when you go to a surf contest, you're in a separate place so that you can focus on what you're doing. You only talk to the people you want to talk to. And she goes, that's the difference, you know, with this social media, because you don't know who you're talking to. If you saw that person, like what they're wearing, how they're acting, um, you know, the, the, maybe the aggression they have towards you, or, you know, you start to get a feel for a person in person, face to face and online, you don't. So you'd never know if you're talking to the person you even think you are. Well, hopefully, uh, my, uh, <laughs> my etiquette has come through. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look similar to who I thought you were. Great. Great. <laughs> well, I, I, I try to, uh, I try to keep it real myself and I think you do, you do a great job of it. So, uh, so thanks for paving the way, my friend. Oh, thanks. I wish I, I wish I had known you had a mohawk and I could have bought one to wear and surprise. <laughs> that would have been good. There you go. There's an idea. There's uh, yeah. I've never seen a mohawk wig in my entire life. I think I have. You have? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think okay. I have. You'll find it. All right. Yes. Sadly, this is not going to stay. My, uh, my mohawk, uh, I've decided is going to uh, part ways once I get married. So there's some news. 
Maybe you should have done it the other way. Just like shave here and leave this all. Like I could do that, and maybe, maybe the yeah late, later half of my thirties. Uh, I'm I'm in my early thirties now, so uh, I'll uh, mental note. But uh, Kelly, thanks, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you are truly a gift and a light to the world for so many people. On behalf of the listeners, my family, my friends, myself, uh, we appreciate you dearly uh, with all that you do on and off the ocean. Thank you, mate. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been good to talk to you. There you have it, Giants. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Kelly. Feel free to say hello to him on Instagram. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Now, if you've been enjoying this podcast, it would really mean a lot to me if you leave a review on iTunes. The better the review, the more exposure. The more exposure, the more opportunity to reach compelling expert guests like Kelly Slater for all of us to learn from. So I invite you to head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. A little teaser for our next guest, he is widely known for creating motivational and inspirational spoken word films and content. His YouTube and Facebook videos have received over a billion views each on both platforms. He covers a range of topics such as environmentalism, race, work-life balance, and spirituality. And he's even been featured on Oprah Winfrey's TV show, Super Soul Sunday. Stay tuned for that one. Before you race off, I invite you to grab yourself a movement watch at 15% off with free shipping worldwide by going to mvmt.com slash giant thinkers. Alternatively, there's a clickable link in the blog post of this episode if you prefer to click through. We're heading into the Christmas shopping period and if you're like me and hate the stress that comes with parking at the shops, then dealing with retail crowds, you can skip all that and grab watches for you and your loved ones delivered straight to your door. They make the perfect gift for men and women and as mentioned, start at $95. The 15% off all items with free shipping is automatically activated when you visit this exclusive link, mvmt.com slash giant thinkers. And for any questions or if you'd like to reach me, do so via my Instagram handle, which is the giant thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a question that I loved from Kelly, who said, is your life going to be gauged on the reaction of other people? So giants, go out there and ride the waves that really call to your heart and soul. (laughs) 